Hello, hello! Welcome back to Loki's Library, and if you are new here, welcome! I am your librarian, Katrina, and this is where I am reading through the enormous library books that you see behind me, and then I give you a quick synopsis and tell you what I think about them. So if you like books, just aren't sure what to read next, hit that subscribe button, like and share my videos, and let me know what you think in the comments. Rounding out my month on happiness reading brings us to this week's book of the week, Mind Hacking Happiness Volume 2, Increasing Happiness and Finding Non-Dual Enlightenment by Sean Webb. The accompanying cocktail is called Soul Happiness. It is 40 milliliters of tequila blanco, 25 milliliters of watermelon syrup, 20 milliliters of lemon juice. Nice and easy. So let's do this. Mind, volume two of Mind Hacking Happiness expands on the concept of meditation as a way to find happiness. Now, if you remember last week, he laid out several options to unload your brain from the negative aspects of self, and I'll put the self in the brackets up here again, that everyone tends to cling to as part of what makes you you, with meditation being first on the list. So volume two digs in, like leftover Patron somebody brought to my house. I said, don't bring any liquor, liquor I got. And they brought me a huge ass thing of Patron silver. So, okay, what are I saying? 25 milliliters of watermelon syrup. So, volume two digs into more of the scientific backing of the positive aspects of meditation. Uh, this is, I mean, there's the obvious, like measurable decrease in levels of stress, like uh, negative cholesterol goes down. Uh, your body can actually start to heal itself. So that placebo effect is really terrifying for the you know medical industry. Well, not really placebo though. If you believe that you're doing good and you are, then it's not really placebo, is it? Take that medical industry. I have to eyeball this one because I don't have a 25 milliliter marking. You know, enhanced calms, feelings of peace, all of this goes part and parcel with meditation and, and the positive aspects of what can come out of meditation. 20 milliliters of lemon. Lemon juice. But then he veers off into a very unexpected direction. Uh, basically that meditation can get you in touch with the core root of the universe. Cool with that. But the core root of the universe is quantum physics which I was not expecting to find out about quantum physics in a book on meditation. Uh, and I'm not joking on that one, but I also believe him. So I'm not trying to make a dig at him. It was just a surprising piece of information to have dropped on me. I, I'm not, I, I'm not by any metric mocking the idea of the connection between meditation and quantum physics, largely because of how well he builds the bridge between the two concepts. Let me shake this up. So he builds the bridge very well as to why meditation can get you in touch with the core root of the universe, which is quantum physics. And I, it, I feel like, and I'm sure he included this in there, but I feel like quantum physics has at to some level been more or less the, the standing operation theory of physics for a very long time. Like life, the universe, and everything we know about it is more or less confirmed through quantum physics, which is cool as hell when you think about it. Um, and I have been long fascinated by quantum physics. I and mean, ever since I read Michael Crichton, uh, Michael Crichton's book, Timeline, back in 2003, I mean, like if I could do my life over, I would force myself to be good at math so that I could spend more time exploring quantum physics. That's how fascinated I am by this. And the applications and implications of what he describes were like leapt off the page at me. So that was very exciting. And what all of this leads to is that every living cell and every living organism has its own consciousness. And that without consciousness, quantum physics would not exist since consciousness is literally a key element of quantum physics. And we know for a fact that quantum physics is real. So how does all that tie into happiness and meditation? 
Well, to get to the core of happiness, where you are one with the universe, uh, woo-woo meaning fully intended, means acknowledging the li that life is in all things, all right? All things. Any cell, any metric has a consciousness on some level. That's the non-dual enlightenment portion of the title. Non-dual means that there is no difference between you and the person next to you. There's no difference between you and the trees outside, you and the rocks you see, the ocean, all of it is, is um, the same. And, and that's at a deep fundamental level. It's kind of, I mean, seriously, reading this book, I was reminded very heavily of Valentine Michael Smith from Stranger in a Strange Land and the temple greeting that he instills in his followers thou art God and the belief that God just wants you to be happy I mean at this point I genuinely believe that Heinlein may have experienced enlightenment himself like everything about stranger jives with what Webb wrote in mind hacking happiness volume 2 so I'm like oh that's kind of cool one's told from a fictional story and the other is kind of backing the science of it so that was nifty I gotta try this cocktail yeah I like that one it's slightly sweet. You can't taste the tequila, which is good because I have a complicated history with tequila. The watermelon's definitely the prevalent flavor. That makes me happy. This is a good one. I am enjoying soul happiness. But with Heinlein's works, like people rebel against the concept of personal responsibility, as, as he outlines it. Webb doesn't make you guess at the meaning. He says point blank, you are responsible for yourself, right? And all the thoughts you think. That all comes back to you, you're responsible for it. Here's how that breaks down. I mean, he, he literally spells it out for you and breaks down that knowledge into small bite-sized pieces explaining you are responsible for self, right? And you're in charge of your brain, personal responsibility. He's just a lot kinder with it than Heinlein is. Heinlein's very in your face with the message. He further breaks down happiness, Webb does, excuse me, back to Webb, not Heinlein. He further breaks down happiness into two types of happiness, hedonic and eudaimonic. I just realized my fan is running in the background and it's squeaking. Let me turn that off. So he, okay, he further breaks down happiness into two types of happiness, hedonic and eudaimonic. Let's look at each of those. So hedonic happiness is, quote, the sensory experience of enjoying specific things, end quote. Eating food you love, uh, enjoying artwork, drinking your favorite drink, buying a new car. These are all examples of hedonic happiness because the happiness is fleeting. It doesn't stick around and keep on making you happy. You know, I went out to my favorite restaurant, had my favorite meal, that made me happy in the moment. But it's not like I'm milking that happiness for days afterwards, right? I'm happy in the moment. You, the temporary joy you feel at buying a new car is basically replaced when the first car payment is due. So this is a very shallow happiness. It's a good thing to experience, but by very definition is temporary in nature. Eudaimonic happiness is a deeper level of happiness. It is, quote, the more profound feeling of well-being that is experienced at our core and which is independent of any one specific event. That's um, the human flourishing and literally translates as good in spirit. This is the happiness you feel daily when you have released the bullshit ideas of self. Your ego has demanded you pay attention to and just allow yourself to feel connected with existence and be at peace with such. And that sounds absolutely delightful, right? So how do you get there? How do you make that happen? Um, if you guessed meditation, you guessed correctly. However, there are steps you can take in conjunction with meditation to help speed the process along. Positive thinking is one. Give your fellow man a break. Remember, 
we're all one, we're all interconnected. If somebody cuts you off while driving, instead of assuming that they are inherently a jerk, offer them a wish that their day gets better and choose not to be bothered by it. Because remember, your mind tells you what to think. Your mind tells you to be annoyed when somebody cuts you off. Tell your mind to shut up, this is not worth getting upset about, and ignore it. But consciously choosing what you're paying attention to. Consciously choosing not to be offended by something like that. Focus on things like health and family. Choose to ignore things like politics, celebrity gossip, and evening news. Um, and the things that make your blood boil are the things that are draining your happiness. So why would you give them any attention? By making these choices in conjunction with meditation, you open yourself up to enlightenment and thus to true happiness. He does spend a rather lengthy chapter describing his own enlightenment experience, which, which is cool. I have no problem with that because, you know, this is, this is how you learn which is kind of reinforced for me my belief that Stranger in a Strange Land was Heinlein's telling of his own enlightenment experience. I and mean, I won't go into that here. It's not my story to tell. But yes, I definitely have that sensation like Heinlein might have been a meditator and or LSD person. I don't know. Maybe he just did LSD. But I think he definitely had an experience. Now, in addition to telling his own enlightenment experience, Webb provides some insight into how to avoid false prophets of enlightenment. Like, how can you tell if somebody is the real deal or just spouting things they've heard who others have heard that, that have actually walked the enlightenment path? So, you know, instead of actually having done it themselves, instead of walking the walk, they're just talking the talk, right? Actions speak louder than words and maybe their words are all they have. So how do you know that? How do you identify who those people are so that you don't get led astray on your own quest for enlightenment? Webb quotes the Buddha on this one. Quote, Buddha said that to be enlightened is to be completely free of the three root poisons of greed, hatred, and delusion. End quote. So if someone is charging you for enlightenment, and I don't mean like buying a book and reading it, that's free market, right? That's the free markets. But I mean, if they're charging you $50 per session to discuss the process, that's that profit motive means they are likely not a profit. Profit, profit, right? If they are soliciting donations to pay for their next private jet, the profit motive means they are not a profit. All the prophets in recorded history, Jesus, Buddha, Dogen, Muhammad, they were all humble men. They didn't seek out great wealth. So consider that a sign. Hatred. If they are preaching hatred of others for any reason, they are not a prophet. Muhammad and Jesus didn't preach hatred. Some of their followers used those teachings to drum up hatred for others, but the men themselves did not preach any hatred. Okay? Non-dual enlightenment means to hate your fellow man is to hate yourself. So preaching of hatred for any reason means the person has not truly found enlightenment. They're, they're not a man of God at that point. God, whoever God may be for you. Uh, delusion. Is there any greater delusion than that of grandeur? If the person you are looking to for spiritual guidance is high on the smell of their own farts, they are definitely not enlightened. Could I just get an empty glass? Oh, sure. Can you believe all these imbeciles in Texas? They just put another prisoner to death. Run the other way. If, they can, if they're talking themselves up and talking down others, they are not enlightened. Oh, I like this one. 
I'm gonna have a way to get rid of the tequila now because I don't need a bottle that big. Now, there are several different ways to achieve this ultimate enlightenment with meditation leading the charge. I mean, you probably could have guessed, right? Uh, it was through meditation that Webb found his own experience, but he also provides the following as pathways to possibly get there. So physical meditation and duress. So this can be through dancing, which he cites like the Sufis and Zikr dancing, AKA the whirling dervishes. Some of you may have seen them or at least know who they are. Themisens from the Mevlevi order of whirling dervishes are the only ones allowed to perform the ceremony. It's captivating for us, but meant for the heavens. For a more feminine twist on this, it's not mentioned in the, well, it's kind of mentioned in the book. He, he touches on it, calling them, quote, religious tribal dances of unique religions found in Africa. Uh, for me, what popped into my head was the czar rituals in Egypt. But not all dance leads to trance or resolution of inner conflicts. Special conditions are required before the mind will give itself over to an altered state of consciousness. The most important of these conditions is the right type of music. All right, and that's just something from my own, you know, I used to dance a long time ago, and so Czar popped into my head, and I went, okay, that would be something that, that could get you to this enlightenment experience. Physical exertion in the form of yoga, like hot yoga, I've done that before. I mean, I always loved how I felt afterward, but basically hated every minute of being in the studio itself because I like the cold. Right now it's, no, what the hell is it? It's 62 degrees outside in August, and I'm loving it because I don't like the heat. But there was definitely a hardcore group of students who went at the same time I was going who I could see they were getting a lot more out of it than I was. And Webb explains physiologically what's going on here, and that was cool. That was cool to learn. And I, I might, like with this knowledge backing me, I might go back and try it again and see if I can really focus and concentrate on releasing more of what's holding me back basically plus yoga is good for you so it's a double win right i get the exercise benefit and the meditation benefit native sweat lodge native american sweat lodges that's an obvious semi-obvious path to get to enlightenment he, he does caution against again hucksters shysters people who will try and rob you of your money for a fake experience and ultimately lead to real serious harm um, genuine Native American sweat lodges, they know what to look for and they know how to keep you safe. So that's something to, to be aware of if that's a route you're interested in exploring. Uh, chanting and prayer are a means to get there. A prayer used to be a chance to listen for God's voice while meditating. And in monasteries the world over it still is. This is still done in monasteries. It's only in fairly recent times that prayer has become about asking for the winning lottery numbers while waiting for church services to be over. So. You shouldn't be asking God for anything. You should be listening for the message God has for you is basically it. Fasting. A calorie deficit in fasting leaves the mind up sort of as a tabula rasa, which makes sense. You can't think of anything but food. Uh, fasting is a rough go for me. I, I probably won't be trying this one. I enjoy food. Although the hot yoga studio I went to always did say not to eat for two hours before coming to class. I thought that was so you don't throw up in class, but maybe it's so you can be more of a blank slate and be more willing to open up. I don't know, huh? Definitely feeling like I should revisit yoga now. I can see where it would serve a dual function, right? One, not throw up, and two, be more open to whatever messages might come through for you. Uh, the, a couple more are not recommended, but they are ways that people have experienced uh, an enlightenment moment. Um, ultimate despair. 
Um, it's that moment when you hit absolute utter rock bottom and it doesn't necessarily have to be in relation to like drugs or alcohol. It's just some, you know, hurdles life has been throwing on you have piled on to the point where you are at your absolute utmost limit. This has actually caused some people to experience enlightenment and then turn their lives around. This is not a recommended way to do it. Like don't trash your life trying to reach enlightenment because the results may not be what you're expecting. Um, and then finally, near-death experiences, again, not recommended because as Webb says, there's no guarantee that yours will be a round-trip ticket. You could just end up in death, so don't seek this out. And then finally, he referenced Dr. Rick Strassman. I read his book last December on the Psychedelic Handbook. It's kind of a fast track to enlightenment, but Webb doesn't recommend it. Mostly this is kind of a do-the-work sort of thing, right? Enlightenment like true enlightenment, truly understanding what happens to you is, is something that, that you should strive for. And if all you're doing is taking a drug, then you're, I mean, yes, you'll, you'll have an experience, but how well will you really internalize that experience if you haven't done the work to get there, if you've just popped a pill to have it basically, or a mushroom or whatever it is. So, and he's pointed out several ways to reach that point without drugs. Uh, they are not actually needed, but I mean, historically they likely were part of rituals to reach that state. I have a book I'm going to read in December that will go into that some more. At least I think it does. So I'm kind of looking forward to that one now. Uh, if you feel like you need a psychedelic boost to get there, just, you know, don't get caught. I mean, I'm not actually advocating for drug use. I certainly can't because of my day job, but I'm pleased I have alternatives now. Um, I mean, on one hand, you'll have lots of time to meditate in prison but it's probably not the most relaxing environment to do so in. So tread your path carefully, all right? And as a final way you can help yourself out, he includes care and feeding of the pineal gland. Now, he does not include, excuse me, he does include the caveat that we have not definitively proven the pineal gland is where DMT is naturally manufactured in the human brain. It's hypothesized due to this is where it is manufactured in rats but there's no legal or ethical way to test this theory on humans, so it has yet to be confirmed. However, shouldn't we all be doing everything we should be doing to, everything we can do to be healthy anyways, including, you know, pineal gland? And while we don't know for sure that DMT is manufactured there, we do know that melatonin is manufactured in your pineal gland, that uh, stuff that helps you to get a good night's sleep. And don't you feel better after a well-rested night after night when you've had a full eight hours in a healthy sleep makes everything look better that automatically is going to give you a leg up on seeing the world in a brighter light uh, it turns out the best thing you can do for your pineal gland is don't drink water that's been treated with fluoride uh, if you live in a jurisdiction that treats with fluoride get a reverse osmosis water filter to funnel that out um, they, they started adding fluorides drinking water to help children specifically their teeth i remember like vaguely remember this debate I think we were in Arizona, but I, I'm almost positive we were in Arizona when this was becoming a debate. Except that fluoride only really helps kids' teeth when directly applied to the enamel while the kid is between like 7 and 12 years old. And after that, there's no benefit. So the minimal contact when consuming drinking water does nothing except for fuck up your pineal gland. I, I read that and I did a quick check, and lucky for me, Truckee Meadows Water Authority does not add fluoride to our drinking water, so that made me happy. It's one less thing I have to worry about, one less thing I have to buy for my kitchen remodel. I don't have to worry about a remote osmos osmosis filter. This makes me happy. 
But I did read that, and I had to wonder if between the added fluoride and the laws against psychedelics, if there is some pressing reason our government doesn't want to see in God. I can seek happiness, but I will always be a conspiracy theorist at heart. And that's it for this week. If you liked what you saw, don't forget to hit subscribe, and I will see you guys next Sunday.